right. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cinema Syndicate podcast, the best movie review podcast on the internet that's spreading its hot take tentacles all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. I'm Matthew Scott, and also, as always, I'm joined by my good friends in Oakland, Mr. Preston Barnes. How you doing, Preston Pokey Barnes? Right on, fellas. Doing well. And moving our way from the left to the east, we've got Mr. Joe Ray Fine. How you doing, Joe? Hey, gentlemen. How we doing? <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Uh, and then we got our Budge, the hitman Husky up in Washington, D.C. How you doing, Budge? Doing well. Schlache, lads. <laughs> All right. Tonight, tonight we are going to be discussing Jan. Is it Jan Dimagino? Uh, it's a French name. Anyways, the movie 71, a historical action thriller from 2014 about the troubles in Northern Ireland and British sort of imperialism. Um, but before we do that, we always like to encourage any people that are listening, please go out and rate the show. I mean, hey, if you like the show, please just go click on iTunes, give us five stars, it's fantastic. Helps us get more subscribers, helps us get represented a little bit better. Um, and before we get into the movie uh, 71, we're gonna do our marquee picks like we always do. And since this is a war thriller, we're gonna do our top three favorite soldiers and movies and TV. So movie characters that are soldiers, could be veterans, could be anyone that's retired from the service. Uh, Joe, since it's your movie, the ch movie you chose, we're gonna let you kick it off with your favorite soldiers, so go for it. All right, boys, uh, good to be here again this evening. I'm actually coming to you live from the mountains of North Carolina for Thanksgiving. So hope all of you out there in pod land are having a great Thanksgiving with your family and your friends. And hopefully we get through this year of 2020 the best we can. Um, with that being said, uh, I'm going to start off with number three. I think I've picked him before, and he's kind of my style icon. And, you know, somebody <laughs> that I always look up to, try to dress like a little bit. And that's Steve McQueen in The Great Escape as Captain Virgil Hills. And wow, he, did not expect that. And he is an absolute badass. Um, he can ride a motorcycle and there is a great scene where he is making it for the Swiss border and he's trying to jump his motorcycle over the, um, over the border fence while the Nazis are chasing him. And I'm pretty sure Steve did all of the racing scenes, you know, all of the motorcycle scenes stunts himself. I mean, he, he is a very talented driver. And so um, that gave me big points to pick him for my number three. Um, Moving to win in a race like Paul Newman, Steve McQueen was obviously a talented driver. Paul Newman used to actually race. Tom Cruise does a bunch of all the driving stunts himself. Who do you think would win like in a, a, a race with all those three guys? Jay Leno. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it depends on what we're racing. Jay Leno. Yeah. Um, but it depends. Um, it, you know, Steve McQueen, um, I believe one of his uh, movies was about Le Mans, the, uh, the famous 24 hour French um road race where uh it's just a, a you know an absolute grindhouse of a race and uh mcqueen actually finished it so you know i may have to lead, lean mcqueen but you know tom cruise and uh paul newman are no slouches either behind the wheel so it, it would be a very interesting contest is the yeah. chase better than um bullet that you were referencing for the border well uh it's i, I would not give it the nod over bullet uh, bullet i think it's better because you know with the uh with the shelby gt uh it's it's just a classic car and there's actually somebody chasing him a little bit more there were they didn't really focus on the nazis in the in the volkswagens uh, you know in um in the great escape so you know for uh aesthetically 
um and you know you know cinema for the cinematography bullets got to be better and what's the San name Francisco. of the shelby gt and uh and gun 60 seconds does anybody remember that like illinois that? illinois yeah. <laughs> absolutely man I, i've actually watched that movie uh uh recently and uh yeah well illinois, it comes on like the usa i think like i think like the usa network or tnt basically the bought the rights for life to that movie and they just play it whenever they're out of ideas they're like oh just fuck it put on gun 60 seconds again because i mean right, well, here, I something quick, everyone watches <laughs> i got a quick question for you methuselah what oh, do yeah. you think what do you think of angelina jolie as a blonde <laughs> i mean that's prime Angelina Jolie, so she's going to do it for me regardless of hair. So I mean, she's uh, she's perfectly fine. It's it's not the blonde thing; it's more the natty sort of dreads that sort of uh, that sort of turned me off a little natty bit. Natty dread. Like, it was an biggest, interesting look. Yeah, I'm not the biggest dread fan. I think she'd look really hot if she did like have the hair sort of just normal, or whatever. I'm just always thinking about like getting my hands like clumped up and something kind of dirty and sort of heavy. Yeah, that's uh, not really something. I mean, like, Ooh, yeah. what if they were like super polished and like kind of uh, bohemian, like? Oh, uh, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get that impression because I think they were kind of going with the oh, she's some sort of like grease monkey mechanic. So I'm guessing well, this is kinda... this is Billy Bob years, right? Yeah, and uh, do, do you think she actually they, grew they those out for they real? Showering. I, I doubt two. those. Were, do you think those weren't real? Those weren't real dress. I guess it takes years to actually get that right. That was actually no, that, was a, that had to be a wig. Yeah, yeah whatever. Sure it was a wig. She's still a very attractive woman, even in her age right now. But yeah, no. Uh, I tell you what, in that movie, when she licks her thumb and wipes off that fake tat on her arm, whew, that gets you going. Oh yeah, and then like doing it in a Ferrari that you're stealing. Oh, whew, yeah, that yeah, I guess it gets the engines revving a little bit. Absolutely, we're talking about making it sexier. You can always make it sexier, but gone sixty seconds, they definitely turned it up to eleven there. I saw uh, that for the <laughs> first time uh, recently. Actually, Emily uh, suggested it, and I enjoyed it. It's <laughs> a classic nineties flick. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's classic. A lot of, cage. Lot of ridiculous cage moments. When they rev up the engine to get rid of the heroin or whatever, it's just so laughably funny. <laughs> it's like, come on, baby, let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> also, the idea that none of those people were just like desperately being like, what, dude, don't get rid of all of it. Come on. Uh. <laughs> Robert Duvall is killed. Maybe we should review that film next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think we should at some point. Yeah, we absolutely we'll will. Watch that. I will, I will definitely pick it at some point. Okay, so go, Joe, you're number two. All right, number two. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the Academy Award winning film Patton with George C. Scott portraying mm-hmm. the great general. Um, just an epic movie. One of those where if you haven't seen it, uh, I think it was filmed in 1976. So a lot of the a lot of the uh, the, the technical directors and uh, people who worked on the film were actually in the Second World War and served under Patton. So it, I mean, it is just an epic of um, just. It's just a fantastic film. I mean, it has an intermission. If that gives you oh, a yeah. clue as to what, yeah. <laughs> this is back when, like, when your parents had like a movie collection, and you saw a movie like in VHS that was kind of like a double wide, so you knew it was serious business, right? Like, so this movie is like, yeah. this movie is like three and a half hours long or something like that. It had to be on two VHS cassettes, and I remember being like, "What's that?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, that movie." An, it's an all dayer, as they say. Uh, so if it's a rainy little Saturday and you want to get some serious business war movie, put on Patton. It's definitely worth the watch. But it is, or any de- Coppola film, and you'll be uh, <laughs> you'll be busy for days. Wait, is that a Coppola movie? Pretty sure he directed that. I don't remember. I really actually no. Know. I think he did the screenplay. 
I don't think he directed that. He, I mean, he did Apocalypse <clears throat> Now, which was around similar time. But yeah, oh yeah, dude, Apocalypse Now is another one that's just like a, a huge, epically long movie that is worth worth the watch, obviously. But it's one of those things that you don't just casually pop on, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Was did Coppola and do screenplay? Coppola did. Yeah, he did the screenplay. You're exactly right. Yep. Well, you know, yeah, I know that's things, actually a really good I know call. things even that's having not seen the film. So I know that's, my couple of that's actually really interesting that uh Francis Ford Coppola would write a whole screenplay, three and a half hour screenplay on George Patton. I mean, that is kind of like feels like it's out of his wheelhouse, but that's really kind of bizarre. I mean, I mean that's awesome. It shows like his yeah. versatility. Um He's probably if, less if you write any film, yeah. If you write any screenplay for a film that was uh it's preserved by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. You've done a good day's work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so go on to your number one there, Joe. My number one, um, Budge has heard of this, and he's the one who turned me on to this series. So it may be a little unfamiliar to uh, Matthew and Preston on the pod, but people out there listening right now, go and find these books and either read them or download them. And it is called uh, The Flashman Papers. And the, uh, the, the protagonist in the novels is a, sold, a British soldier called Harry Flashman. And he is an, like the funniest anti-hero that you will ever fucking read in your life. And he, it seems like he is at every major British military engagement. From and quite a few the, American. And quite a few American from the Civil War uh to harper's ferry and uh it, you know he it seems like he always finds himself in the thick of things and he's run he, he's the biggest coward and he's running away but still gets all the the laurels and the women and he's it, it, i've heard him described as the 19th century's version of james bond but he's more of kind of like the the james bond that runs away but still gets all the credit <laughs> was, there a, was there a film that yes there's like a film okay. <laughs> there's a film that was made in the 70s called royal flash and it stars malcolm mcdowell um and i can't remember Christ, Joe. it's it's do it i don't think it could ever be made now unfortunately it, but i gotta it, look up a, all of these would do it justice <laughs> but it, it uh I, I haven't actually seen the movie i've only read the books I'm very Wait, so fantastic Wait, so so, but is this guy some like sort of lovable dude that's sort of a coward, or is he someone that you actually kind of hate and he winds up kind of winning? He's well, kind of a charming asshole, but he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so you he said he was like, British, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's uh, the the character is based off of a character from a famous uh, British novel from the eighteen fifties called Tom Brown's School Days. Apparently, if you came of age in the 1850s and 60s and onwards you read this book it was about public school life in england and harry flashman was the uh the bully he you know terrorized all the little kids like you know made them pretty much their his slaves and all this stuff around the school and so the author of the book george mcdonald fraser took the character and turned it into you know, he's this like hero that of oh the British God. Empire who's like, you know, everybody thinks he's the greatest when he's really just this fucking villain who is, you know, doing the dirty by everybody and getting credit for everything. 
and it's it's just fantastic the way it's written the the humor the way that he he's so condescending and and it's just fantastic so if you haven't people out there pick up the books watch the movie you you will not be disappointed i I really did not expect this to devolve into a discussion (laughs) on the flashman papers by george mcdonald frazier but that's what happens when you're on the cinema sick podcast it's uh, true, and if you haven't left us yet after that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I, I will say I just googled because now I am very intrigued, and I just googled Harry Flashman and the rendering and the depiction of him, which I just sent in the chat, is like everything I wanted to see. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's got like, and I, I don't know, Joe. Is this usually how he looks? I mean, he's got like the mustache. He's got the shaved chin and the shaved like. Oh, he rocks the whiskers and the and the he's got the yeah. mus- mustache that connects to the sideburns. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> he's just like your stereotypical like, British look. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's incredible. British imperialist that's probably just wanting to like <laughs> wine and dine himself while people do the dirty work, and then when like actual danger comes, he pisses his pants and runs away. But somehow gets, like you said, gets the plot for it when other people do the actual dirty work and win. <laughs> Uh, I'll give you one example of how he's like this is how he's great is that he is in a dungeon in India with nothing else to do and he calculates how many women he has slept with (laughs) up until that point and it is in the high 400s (laughs) (laughs) so like Bond Indiana Jones meets kind of I mean you're not far off Mr. Bean um yeah, actually, that, that's terrible. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, he's just British and he kind of fucks up, so we'll just go with it. Uh, all right, so we're gonna move on. Uh, I was Budge. expecting uh, Joe. I was expecting Commander Bond on that list. I figure I've hit Bond a lot on the on the pod. <laughs> I, I tried to expand my horizons a little bit. If well, we I really, if we, if we really want to get down to it, it's we could have really grilled Joe about how Steve McQueen is his style icon, but we're gonna leave that. <laughs> oh yeah. <to> another... <laughs> and well, do not work. Do not worry, listeners. We will post a picture of Flashman on the Instagram account. No context, just that yeah. picture and what you think. And I think Joe's picks have certainly uh, given every listener some home- homework as they uh, they need to brush up on, on some of these epic films and well, it just 1850s shows, British literature. It, it just shows that how people use the pick. Some people use it to educate. Some people use it to entertain. Like Joe, obviously, is always up with the deep cuts. He's like a jazz. Very deep. Yeah, he's like a jazz aficionado that just wants to tell That's us. That's what you brought me in for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, that is part mostly true. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to Budge, your top three favorite soldiers. So it's kind of interesting um, that Joe's number one was Harry Flashman, because I think that Harry Flashman maybe didn't outright inspire this person, but, it, you know, because I can't say that the director had read them, but it wouldn't be shocked me if it did. But my number three is Michael Fassbender and Inglorious Bastards as Kurt, um, Archie Hickox. Uh, and I don't know if you remember his character, but he was the English soldier who was a German film critic and then was used uh, by, you know, Winston Churchill and some others to kind of initiate the uh, the plan. So they were going to sneak him into uh, the German art house theater as a critic, but he, you know, they stole the uniforms and he's speaking German and they go to the bar and that's when like they come to celebrate the son's birth, the German soldiers do. And uh, that's when the shootout happens. But yeah, it's because he three did, glasses. he asked for three glasses and not three. And that's how they knew that he wasn't German. It was one mistake, but in the end, you know, he liked a cigarette and goes, if you don't mind us going out, I wouldn't mind speaking to Kings. Uh, and he kind of breaks character. It's a great, it's a great scene. 
Uh, but because he's kind of a rascal and a rogue, I thought you know, he kind of reminded me of Harry Flashman and being British, obviously. Um, upper class, upper class uh, hooligan. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, and that's why I think I picked him over some others uh, in that movie because it is one of my favorite films. But I think that uh, you we know, do need to review that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Brad Pitt as Aldo the Apache's accent is is awful. And um, oh, you're gonna love my really, picks. Can't really get past it. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw some other um, characters on here from that movie. Uh, but my number two is a little bit different. Um, and I, I was either and I, and I fluctuated with this one because it's it's the Winter Soldier. It's Bucky Barnes um, from the Marvel movies. Oh yeah. And I was thinking nice. about Captain like America that. here, but he's kind of cheesy. You know, not, he's not cheesy, but like while he is a soldier and he throws <clears> a shield, Bucky Barnes uses guns. You know, he's. Plus, a metal fucking arm is arm, so yeah, badass. Yeah, a metal arm is badass. Uh, and I think that, and honestly, I think that Captain America, the first Avenger, is a little bit trashed, harder than it deserves, but it is not nearly as good of a film as Winter Soldier or Civil War is. So, and since that's the question, I'm, I'm giving the nod to old Bucky as the Winter Soldier. Um, my number one though let's, by the way like what's his nickname uh budge like the did you read the isn't it white wolf and they make reference to it in yeah. endgame not endgame but uh infinity war they say something like the white wolf has to come out or something like that and they come hand him the back his arm yeah yeah which I again think, another badass nickname yeah. which makes him way cooler than captain america and, who, and also upcoming he's in that new movie with captain america or uh, the falcon and the winter soldier and the not movie sorry series on disney plus that is that is uh i'm a I'm really pissed off they didn't drop during quarantine. Um, like but, some, I mean, imagine like a lot of that stuff of the filming and production of that stuff got delayed or whatever. I bet their schedule just got turned really fast. I don't think that I don't think that that and Wandavision did. I think that that was done filming. I think they're just sitting on it because they don't. Oh. But I don't see what the point in release. Not really. You know, it's not like you're going to buy see that in a the theater. Yeah, I have no idea, but I think you know. Yeah, it is kind of weird because they announced all those things, and the Mandalorians already had mm -hmm. two seasons. When they announced those things, like the slate of mm -hmm. Disney Plus when it was rolled out, that was already in production or whatever. And we've already yeah. got two seasons of Mandalorian before we've got anything else original from them so far. That so that is kind of weird. You're right. Um, go for it. Go for your number one. Uh, my number one's a little unorthodox, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's not on some other ones. But it would be uh, Kirk Lazarus in Tropic Thunder, or it would be Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I meant to, dude. I meant to have him, but I just didn't want to say retard in the pod. There, I just did. But go for it, Lincoln <laughs> well, Osiris. Well, yeah. also, you know, there's the there's the issue of blackface, but yeah, I think that it's kind of meta, and that it like understands that, you know. But I just think he's just such an over-the-top exaggeration of, of characters in war movies. But the fact that it's like, a, you know, a, a, a comic, a, you know, it's a bit within a bit within a bit, I think was like kind of brilliant. And I think that movie, again, criminally underrated, but uh, and, and an all-time classic. But for that, but because of the performance, I got to give the got to give the number one slot to Robert Downey Jr. The fun thing about that movie, and I know there's tons of fun things about that movie, but if you saw it in theaters... <laughs> And like you saw, like, you know, like everything was sort of like you obviously when you watch movies in theaters, they show trailers beforehand. The way they sort of structured the movie at the very beginning is they almost have trailers for all these people's former movies. Right. And they were all so, so funny. And you didn't even know kind of if the movie had started, even yeah. though I guess you kind of do know. But if you kind of walked in at the beginning, you don't really know. But what's the what's I forget what's Ben Stiller's like character's name. But when he like Simple the, Jack. Yeah, no, but no, 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 no. 
But they have like his action movie like stuff, oh, and it's oh, like, oh, like his a name. baby. Oh. He has the baby on the papoose, and like one's like it's like hell's like you know like super super hot. And there's lava everywhere, and then it's like the next movie is like oh, shit. Oh, okay. I forgot something like who, but he's he has like a baby, like has two babies or something. He's got two guns, and he's like who left the freezer open? But it's just <laughs> like it's just. Oh yes, <laughs> it's some of like the cold, ge- yeah. it's so fucking cheesy and so See, so but funny. The, but the one, the one of those fake movies that I remember the most was the one with Tobey Maguire and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, like, Satan's, Satan's Alley. Yeah. Satan's Alley. Yeah. <laughs> Satan's Alley. Yeah. <laughs> On the down low. Yeah, it's like some Catholic monk, monk yeah. or priest or whatever that has some uh, forbidden affair with another yeah. monk. But it's yeah. Speaking no, of speaking of Catholics, that's not something that'll come up tonight. Yeah. No. Absolutely not. Yeah, it might. <laughs> I'm gonna shy away from some of that stuff but no 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 I mean you're right though but that character in general is just so so ridiculous yeah. and like his just like conviction to staying in character obviously is just outrageous and you wonder obviously I mean you shouldn't it's not wondering like you know all that some of comedies it's exaggerated or whatever to the point where maybe it's not 100% true but it is grounded on some reality you oh, have abs- to think. absolutely I think <laughs> Ben Stiller if you look at like his all the movies he makes like really take aim at Hollywood and some of the personalities in it. Now we may not know specifically who it's, you know, a parody of, and it may be an amalgamation of, of people or personalities, but nonetheless, I, I, you know, I think he's pretty, he's pretty brutal about it. Well, I mean, it's obviously, uh, you know, it's it's a, a parody or whatever on anyone that's like fully, fully into method mm-hmm. acting. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the case with, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis apparently on the set of Lincoln. Christian like, Bale comes to mind. Yeah, Christian Bale. I, Daniel Day-Lewis, I remember like hearing stories about him <laughs> on the set of Lincoln, like was pretending to be Lincoln still at like coffee shops when they filmed it like Wilmington and stuff like that. <laughs> just like, just, just incredibly stupid. Like, Daniel, come shit. on, dude. Yeah. Like he's like dressed, like still has like, you know, like he's dressed normally, but obviously still sort of has the beard he grew out and everything. And he's just he acting like, like Abe Lincoln while he's going into like local he, coffee shops and bullshit. His hat <laughs> keeps getting like hit off when he walks into places. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it makes you question like, what's the limit of method acting? It's like, do you just stay in character in terms of like how you behave but you still like are wearing like a fish t-shirt and like shit like shirts like pants or whatever just regular stuff it's like you're not dressing like lincoln to stay in character but you're just still doing the accent and maybe like trying to pretend you're you know it's yeah. are you just, acknowledging that obama was president at, yeah. while you're filming or is you know what i mean it's like are you are you fully involved yeah, like, like he's not paying yeah. with credit cards he's paying like he went like full on like got like crazy weird like Democrat, like what, like weird so money, like old money. Yeah. They're, like Dan- they're like Daniel. We we gave you this incredible suite at the Hilton. Why are you living in a log cabin outside of this the city? Yeah. Why are you paying me in gold dust? Yeah, <laughs> a coffee for three dollars. I can yeah. get this for fifteen cents back in Washington. You know, like some like whatever. You mean to fuck. tell me the United States is no longer on the gold standard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it really is, and I think that's what states. like yeah, that's what the movie t- kind of does. Is like it, it, it's like where do you draw the line? Like when you're actually in like a real life situation, the guy remains in character in terms of like it's life or death there's like actual people in vietnam trying to kill these people and he still like refuses to drop character because he could like could the off chance have be recorded at that moment but so like it's one of those things yeah it's i, I think that's what it's really parodying is like where where, where do you draw the line when you actually do this form of acting and method acting like like dennis hopper i think in, in a apocalypse now right like he was constantly in 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it didn't Marlon Brando do that shit too? I mean, I think that's sort of like what he. Like, I don't know if he did that in that movie. I think he was. There were other issues there, but Colonel Kurtz. Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't have like a list of asshole method actors in front of me, but it is just one of those things where you it, hey, you can't you really. You don't fault, have that billboard. Yeah, you can't you can't fault Daniel Day Lewis because he's just so so good in everything he does, but still yep. must be one of those infuriating things to actually work on set with him. Where can I fault Jared Leto? Yeah, <laughs> like for, for being in character in Suicide Squad as the Joker, because I'm pretty sure that was the case. Like that would be yeah. annoying as fuck. Oh, absolutely. He, he did do that. I know, I know. And like you, he I heard like, people were like, "God damn, Jerry. and he was like sending. I think he sent people feces. Oh, like that he like acted like, oh, <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> I wonder if that's just like him trying to like actually put on a good performance, or if him realizing how much like notoriety and like fame and attention. What, the the name's blanking mm-hmm. me or whatever, but the, the guy who played the Joker in the Dark Knight uh, and then Heath Ledger, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Heath Ledger and had such a great performance, and everyone was like, "This is fantastic! This is amazing! The first comic book movie that actually deserves an Oscar performance type thing." And you wonder if Jared Leto was like, "Oh, I'll do the same thing, and I'll make it better because I'll get deeper in the character." And he just sort of went all out and people kind of laughed at it like it's something you can't like duplicate or replicate and he actually kind of like doubled down on it is what it sounds yeah. like so we do assume he was like almost overdosing and requiem for a dream like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah again where do you draw the line if your he character's actually, an yeah they actually something- gave him bucky barnes the winter soldier's robot arm oh <laughs> well, uh i'd like to go ahead and segue to my picks by bringing up requiem for a dream oh because Ooh. my number three um, was portrayed by uh, actor Damon Wayans, and this goes back to our uh, <laughs> yeah, no this goes back to our childhood. Yes. This is a, a nostalgic pick for uh, for me, but I'm going with Major Benson Payne. <laughs> what from, if Vincent Payne from uh, from Major Payne, who? Um, I mean, let's see. Where do you start? Uh, obviously, when he helped get a Marine's mind off of his shoulder wound by breaking his pinky, um, which was hilarious. And I think the funniest part of the film is when he comforts the little child with like that hell-torn Fallujah version of the little engine that could. Oh, it was the Vietnam version of the yeah of the, Our, of the yeah whatever that could, like, going down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. <laughs> um, which is obviously it was just it's yeah. Choo choo or whatever I can't even remember what he does. That is, uh, I haven't seen that movie in, in some time, um, but certainly uh, gives me some fond memories back to when we were younger. And I think we all like quoted it constantly and thought it was the funniest thing ever. And probably some of Damon Wayne's best work there. Oh man! And Hillary from Fresh Prince of Bel Air was still smoking hot in that. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, she was in it, and there's some other. She's also the, the she's also smoking hunt in the ladies' man too, right? And the, what's what's the little like piano thing he does? Like, like Tim, Meadows, I like, am Julie. I am Julie's piano. I am. Julie's piano. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, <laughs> gosh, that's another one we should review the ladies' man. Another I, rabbit hole to jump down. I know. I, I still love, I mean, the, the, the guy from like Upright Citizens Brigade or whatever was it? I can't remember, but the mailman who's like almost dressed like a, a goddamn idiot or whatever. But he's <laughs> he's like, oh, look, what's what's the thing when he does with the mail? He's like, it's Johnny Walker. He says, stop. And uh, he got stop. the 70s called. Yeah. They wore their clothes. <laughs> stop. Yeah. And he's like, you're a bad mailman. Yeah, he just says, you're a bad mailman. <laughs> 
He's like throwing the mail, I think, in the water. Oh, yeah. He's like, like on the ground. He's, he's like, houseboat bill. Electric bill. I still like just yeah. randomly, still randomly say, like, I've performed the magic over here. And I'm just referring to like myself. Oh, I just, <laughs> Matt, Matthew, I, I think I saw a car with a bumper sticker that had pina colada butt lotion. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Like, did they make that? You know, how many people are driving around right now are getting that reference? Like, <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, I've got uh, an SNL character turned movie in in my picks too. But go for it, Preston. If, if that makes, I'm not really segueing into anything. Go for your number two. <laughs> uh, on a more serious note, my number two. Uh, this is also a movie I haven't seen probably in like, gosh, five or so years. Great movie. Um, we watched it. I remember the first time I ever saw it was back in middle school. Like probably Miss Riley's class in seventh grade, I think. But it's no god and it's not oh, what a reference not mr not mr smith goes to washington either yeah. i think we watched in that but it's it a badge it, of courage yeah. it is uh glory and i'm going oh. with denzel washington's character private trip who um, oh shit i thought you say robert Gulshaw. uh no i mean i'm going with <laughs> private trip for a variety of reasons i mean like it's just your denzel I mean, Denzel was pretty, still was getting pretty big at the time. I mean, this is what, like 1989, I think. Um, this and, was back before, though, he was big enough to insert a my man. Right. He was, like, there were no my mans. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. he, he really broke through as like, okay, this guy's a, a legit, like serious actor. Um, like not just serious, but, a, you know, could be winning awards type of uh, act. I'm not sure if he won anything prior to this, but. Uh, it wasn't a sexy role for him, you know, like he wasn't. No, he gets like, being some sexy soldier. You know what I mean? Like he was a no. He's he a very like the worst one in the in the platoon. Almost. Yeah, he is a very complicated soldier, and I think a lot of the sentiment that he, I mean, like that he represented in that film transcends not just like okay the Civil War, but it transcends Jim Crow, it transcends civil rights, and even up and you know to, to present time. I mean, he was a very he was he was very resentful of like the country that he had to fight for. And he was always like the first to displeasure, like the idea, like nothing is going to change for us in post-Civil War, you know, and he started to protest like even like unequal pay, but he was thinking like, all right, well, I'm still going to fight for everyone around me because I, you know, like I, I do believe that we could have better lives in some way or another. I mean, he even gets like bull whipped in the early, early por portion of the film. I mean, it's, yeah, a, it, it's an intense character, but it's, I think it's a yeah, microcosm it's for, a, for a lot of, uh, a lot of issues our country has faced since civil war. And I think he represents that in many ways. Yeah. I think it's a really good pick. Cause I think you're, you're right. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about this, not in the same way in the last episode, but it, it really did kind of subvert your expectations on who that character was going to be. You know, like I said, because yeah. he was more complicated. He wasn't like they just didn't pull out your a token guy to go fight for the union and get real jacked up about emancipation. He was like, see, like you said, like things are still gonna suck. Yeah, and I think obviously during that time to to express any of that, whether it's to your regiment or to anyway, I mean, like that was a risky thing to do, um, and he obviously paid the price at times. So it's a uh, it's a great great movie if no one's seen it. It's obviously a very powerful story of a. Uh, a very powerful true story. I think oh, look, another movie. I, just, I, I got a note that uh, I think it's interesting. You didn't pick another Denzel soldier role um, this week in particular, particularly because it would be Denzel and Crimson Tide. 
<laughs> yeah. <naval> officer. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. <laughs> All right. So is it my number one now? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to break the streak, uh, the unspoken streak of not ever having, I don't think anybody's ever picked this character for anything. And it is an iconic character, best Oscar, best uh, actor winner um, from this movie. And I'm going with none other than Forrest Gump. <laughs> and Forrest Gump. Damn. Man. Uh, and also Alabama alum. Yeah. All-American war hero. Yeah. Again, did not think of it in that term. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did think about, though, was um, what better, what more valiant soldier could there be than Forrest Gump going back into you know going back to find his platoon in vietnam and basically saving like i don't know how many people does he save in this this one i think scene? it's like 10 10 and the, the all you know all along we all know he's trying to go find bubba <laughs> and uh all he of i think course, all, yeah. all, he, all he says when he sees him is yeah. hey bubba and he knows that bubba's on his last on his last leg and and it's just you know it's it's powerful it's sad it's it but it's it's like an epic <laughs> an epic uh soldier they were best good um, friends yeah and even you know he goes back to bubba's family and and um gives him his cut of the apple money yeah it's it's uh it's a you know i thought i thought about lieutenant dan for a second then i was like lieutenant dan's kind of a dick so <laughs> that's, a, that's a little heavy losing your legs and stuff yeah. forrest just gets shot in the ass and then like literally obviously everything good happens to him besides jenny getting aids but yeah. like he uh <laughs> yeah i mean i i that love the big deal yeah. Jen a. yeah Dude, interesting uh, this is kind of uh, off topic but i've always thought about this but when i first saw that movie as a kid i'm pretty sure i thought that that was cancer and that my parents just didn't tell me that it wasn't i'm almost, i think i do thought it was cancer. about aids like That's i didn't a, i didn't ask but like they certainly didn't volunteer that info that is a great point uh budge i i i think i too thought it was cancer when i first saw it because they don't really come out and say it mm -hmm. real explicitly in the film yeah. Which I mean, even in the mid '90s, like it was, I don't know. I mean, it certainly wasn't as touchy of a subject well, that, as it was and, then. And his guys you know, you know that. Too, so what did you say? Be the same deal. I mean, like his mother dies of cancer as well earlier in the in the film. So you're, if you were looking, uh, just you would just think that that was the same deal going down. I guess you know what well, I mean. It's one of those yeah, things where, where, where Forrest in that whole movie sort of tackles difficult subjects or whatever, or like complex ideas and puts them in simple ways. But so one thing he really doesn't tackle in terms of like verbally tackle, obviously he like buries Jenny and like takes care of the kid, but you don't get that like classic moment where Forrest, like, you know, he goes, sorry for ruining your Black Panther part or whatever, whatever. But he doesn't say like, <laughs> he doesn't say, uh, Jenny got AIDS. Oh, like, it's, you know, it's just like, it would have yeah. been like one of those like really, really, really almost funny. It would have been funny now. It would have been funny in the movie, but like, it's almost like, I feel like it might've been written in the script. Like, let's see like how Forrest talks about AIDS and they go, no, we're, we're just going to let it be. Like, I, don't, I don't think he can talk about AIDS. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think it's funny yeah. when he talks about Black Panthers and stuff like that, but let's not actually... I think, but, I, think but I, think, I think forces real quick but i just i think the the simplicity of forest and his characters like it almost makes sense and speaks to kind of like the soldier he was whereas like he was there to like i think in the most in like the truest sense uh he had the best intentions of being a soldier like he was there to like i'm you know, i'm fighting my country and i'm gonna help you know do what i need to do 
you know, but I'm, I'm there to like help my brothers and save them and heart. Like, I mean, I feel like that in that act, that, that move that, that he does by saving so many people, it just like speaks perfectly to his character. God damn it. Gump will make a general out of you one day. Uh, <laughs> it goes, why did you disassemble your weapon so quickly? He goes, cause you told me to drill sergeant. Right. It's, it's just like, it's, it's so literal. Like he, they're like, why did you go and, and risk your life and save all those people? And he's like, because I was, you know, like, Probably if they asked him that, he'd be like, because I was told to do that. Or something. You know, like, I oh, love when he's, what was he do? Like who's the president? I, I can't even remember my U.S. history knowledge is so shit, but like he shows him his like bullet wound in his ass while he's drinking Dr. Pepper. I always thought was, that was like one of the funnier moments or whatever. Because that, that must be quite a sight. <laughs> yeah, it's Lyndon Johnson. Because <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's John F. Kennedy he meets uh, when he's an All-American football player. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, that's that's also another great when line. That's that when he has to pee, right? You know what? The best thing about going to the White House is the food. <laughs> <laughs> because they all were, the free Dr. Peppers. Peppers. And because <laughs> they were free, I must have had about 13 Dr. Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, yeah, it, it's one of those movies that probably kind of gets shits on because it was so popular, but it's still just so quotable and fun to watch. I mean, like when it comes I think, on, I think everyone watches it. We wouldn't yeah, be, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, give a rest in peace to the late Winston Groom, author of that book we lost a few months ago, and Alabama icon. Uh, there you go, Budge. There you go. We can count uh, on Budge for Alabama literature. Um, <laughs> tidbits. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Budge definitely knows his raconteurs. So uh, we're going to move on to my top three picks. We'll get through these pretty quickly, and then we'll move on to Jan Demangino's seven nineteen or like, two thousand fourteen movie. I like to watts. think it's like Demange. I looked, I dude, I looked up the term. I like, I typed it into uh, Google and sort of a YouTube or whatever, like how to pronounce these French name, and it sort of had that sort of LSU kind of ending, that E A U X kind of thing. It was like yo, like whatever reason that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but that's Don what they told Demange. Yep. Demange. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna do my top three. We'll get through these really quick. Number three. Uh, this actually is someone that had to deal with the IRA a few times in the seasons of the show he's on, but I've got Thomas Shelby from the Peaky Blinders, uh, Tunneler mm, and World One. Uh, <clears throat> number two, one of my favorite movies, favorite characters of all time. I've got Mr. Walter Sobjack from the Big Lebowski, which, <laughs> oh, God, what a pick <laughs> when, <laughs> I mean, there's just so many reference to his service, obviously, because he's sort of living in the past and wants people still, still to respect him. But that eulogy to Donnie, when he just sort of, what was all that shit about Vietnam? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When he randomly <laughs> just goes back into, as you took so many bright flowering young men at Quezon, at Landuck, <laughs> at Hill, Hill 264. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hill 364. <laughs> Or the so, uh, so random, so funny. Hang on, Donnie, we're choppering in hell. Yeah. <laughs> or just when he goes up on the uh, freedom of speech thing, where he's just like, "I'm staying, finishing my coffee." Yeah, I'm a goddamn, I'm a goddamn veteran. That's who I am. What when he says, uh, "Yeah," when he like finally confronts the real big like Jeffrey Lebowski at the end, and he's like, "Man, I've seen fucking spinals, man," and this guy's a fucking. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's a fucking fraud yeah. yeah because i've seen a lot in my day man this guy's a fake yeah and he goes nah. who are you who are you sir and he goes a goddamn veteran that's who i honestly that should probably be your number one i know well no you i think you're gonna like the number one pressing because this is a movie i think we actually saw together in charleston but i've got the mullet rocking throat ripping ghost fucking legend mcgruber uh. <laughs> 
like four-time Marine or like whatever, like one of the best ridiculous. I mean, I remember watching that movie and I really didn't know what to think of because I really wasn't a huge fan of like the SNL skits, but I think I kind of got dragged into it, but left just being obviously so happy I did because it's one of the funniest, most ridiculous movies. I mean, the SNL, if we're being honest, like if that that character on SNL wasn't actually really developed and then they turned no, it into it a movie yeah. that was fantastic. It was very surprising when I remember when the trailer came out being like, wait, they're going to do a movie about this? this this is like this is not one of my favorite snl skits this is kind of uh this seems like a a stretch to say the least it literally starts it literally starts with the bad guy who's a fat val kilmer by the way like it's like they got val kilmer to be like all below which i think that's his natural look now yeah but his name is cunts i mean like it just i just always had this perception of will forte as being kind of clean cut snl guy if that makes sense i know that's sort of maybe an oxymoron but he always seemed to sort of be like oh like it's it's just will forte his sketches aren't dirty or anything like that and this movie like i said like it starts out with cunts uh, he has sex with a ghost. C-U-N-H. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shoves a piece of celery in his ass and yeah. walks around. Because yeah, he refuses to use guns, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously, for those who don't know, it is a uh, play on or a parody of MacGyver, the old, uh, I don't even, what is that, like early 90s? Yeah, TV show. there's there's yep. so many yeah. there's so many great i mean like uh, it's it's the way he has to get paired up with the guy you know who's sort of his foil what's his name like ryan uh I ryan felipe it. yeah ryan felipe yeah. or whatever but he goes and recruits all of, like his old like marine veterans they're all wwe wrestlers <laughs> like they're huge and buff guys they get in a van of c4 to just fuck the fuck. Fuck. yeah, fuck the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that thing fucking explodes <laughs> so good there's gonna be a sequel i think a pack myself yeah yeah it's like a pack of c4 explosive myself (laughs) it's one of those movies that leans into how stupid it is but then that's what makes it really really good it's like it's not it's not trying to be something it's not it's not trying to be super smart or clever it knows it's being stupid and dumb and like it just amplifies that so much and it makes it even funnier when like it makes you feel like you're all part of the joke yeah it's very (laughs) self-aware of how stupid it is i I think very much in the kind of in the same light as uh the movie hot rod yeah kind of like very much just stupid and like over the top on on these you know like on a stunt man essentially and and i think this is kind of the same deal with mcgruber um but like yeah i mean it's uh, yeah i every time i watch that movie i, I laugh my ass off yeah and when we're due for a hot rod rewatch <laughs> oh hot rod's so good <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, Andy Samberg, uh, the, the, that, again, uh, someone who I wasn't a huge fan of on SNL, but then like someone goes, I think it was Nick Cooney. I think you guys probably don't know, but Preston does. Nick Cooney's like, you got to watch Hot Rod. And I remember just laughing my ass off about that movie. That movie they, is so fantastic. They walk through the streets singing You Are the Voice, and then everybody <laughs> starts like riding, and they're like, wait, what the hell? This is supposed to be a positive moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we should, All right. Hey, real quick, yeah. what was your number three? I missed that. Uh, number three was uh, Tommy Shelby, Thomas Shelby from Peaky Blinders. If you haven't seen Peaky Blinders, you need to check it out. But anyways, he's a mob boss if you've never seen it. But his cool. like whole backstory is that he kind of suffers from PTSD from being a tunneler in World War One. Uh, so he's sort of, and he also gets a little bit of special treatment through it. I think it's he may four. or may not see another Shelby brother who is also a veteran in the upcoming film. What film? This one we're about to review. But yeah, let's uh, let's get into. 
71 by we kind of discussed the name a little bit earlier by Jan Dimagino, Dimagino, uh historical action thriller <laughs> from 2014. This was a Joe Ray, Joe Ray Fine original pick. So this is like a historical thriller. And I was going to start off by sort of like talking about how there's not much context given this movie, which can make it kind of confusing to people that watch this that maybe don't have a history degree. But Joe, you were going to let us like kick it off a little bit by maybe telling us a little bit about the troubles, tell us a little bit about the context within this movie so we can kind of maybe talk about with a little bit more what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for North American audiences, this this it may seem a little bit foreign because at this point, um, the Good Friday Agreement was signed uh in 1998 so you know that was 22 years ago so it's 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 almost a generation removed from the peace process so a lot of the a lot of the people now aren't going to realize quite how fucked up it was in northern ireland and uh the late 60s up until the late 90s and the the whole the, the issue is it was an ethno-nationalist conflict that sprung up from the protestant uh, settlers from Scotland and Britain who came over and settled in Ireland in the late 1600s and their descendants are now the majority in the counties of Northern Ireland and so the troubles well I'll, I'll let in that, in that, those, that region we called the Ulsters so like the Ulster Scots which you see sometimes in the film if that didn't by the way yeah. when someone calls it the troubles it makes it sound like some sort of like gang of (laughs) homosexuals that snap their fingers and sing musical tunes on the streets or something like Like that west side story (laughs) yeah Yeah. well no well well and because you know like uh andy in the office i guess i shouldn't say oh you know because some people haven't seen it but the name of his acapella group is here comes treble treble trouble yeah so whenever like i think of this some of this stuff like when i heard it was called the troubles i thought it was like oh that's kind of like a shitty band name of something really popular we, <laughs> we're watching it emily was just like that just this is the most because we we had to pause it and and i think a lot of people and joe you're gonna explain this but as the movie started we, we actually had to like pause about like 10 minutes into it <laughs> and look up everything like we yeah. had to look up all the with like the protestant catholics kind of like what was going on uh yeah emily read she was like the uh, that she's like I'm, I'm about to tell you the name of the conflict or, and it's the most british thing ever or like <laughs> and she's like it's called the troubles and I, was like, oh. <laughs> I was like no way it's called and, the au pairs <laughs> yeah no, but anyway like so i this this background that joe's giving is very important and uh definitely uh everybody right. listen in <laughs> yeah yeah okay so it, it it all stemmed from in 1922 ireland was partitioned officially into the republic in the south which became a dominion of in the british terms which it, it no longer is now um and the northern state part the northern counties stayed part of the united kingdom and so we fast forward from 1922 until you know 19 the late 60s 1968 and the situation in Northern Ireland has really come to a head. And what has brought this to being is that Catholics in Northern Ireland were not given very many political rights. You know, they weren't allowed to hold a lot of government positions, um, et cetera, because, you know, they, the Protestants feared that, you know, eventually that they would take over and, and unite into a single Ireland on the island. 
And so by the time this film is taking place, it, it, it has really turned violent. It has gone from protests in the streets for equal rights for Catholics in Northern Ireland, I mean, to an open conflict between the Royal Ulster Constabulary, which is the police force, the Protestant police force in Northern Ireland, the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army which on the Catholic. Irish, yeah, Irish Catholic side, and then various various paramilitary groups on either side. Which, like the UDF, the Ulster Defense Force, so I think we've run into. Right. In this film. That, that was, that was a, to be a uh, part of. That was so, a Protestant. Yeah, go ahead. So, so just to clarify here, so the Protestants would be the majority here if they're sort of suppressing Catholics' rights. Well, they're not. They're not. They're not the majority in Ireland, but they're the majority in Northern Ireland in Belfast. Okay. And the Brits, like the Brit, the Brits, sympathize with the Protestants. Yeah. Well, because a lot of them, their their ancestors were Scottish or English. They weren't Irish. Well, that would be the other thing to, to talk about, Joe, is obviously sort of the British imperialism in terms of how this fits into the Irish sort of revolution. So they're having this sort of revolution amongst themselves. And then obviously the British feel the need to sort of interject themselves into it or be a part of it because, hey, that's who we are. So how, how, how does that really part work of it, Maybe. Yeah. And real so, quick, Joe, what was sorry, your question? Joe. Go ahead. Okay. Well, just just a question in terms of so this movie sets up in terms of this is a British soldier within this sort of conflict that's gotcha okay with so, Ireland right. right so how does yeah. how does Britain actually kind of fit into it in terms of this conflict between you know the IRA the Catholics and Protestants going on in Ireland gotcha okay so Northern Ireland it it would be it's a part of the four home nations of the United Kingdom so you have England you have Northern Ireland you have Scotland and you have Wales. And so all four of those countries come together to form the United Kingdom. So, you know, Belfast is Which just is as much crazy, Britain, Great Britain way. as London is. And I, so, I, go ahead. I'm just, I just think it's uh, Great Britain is is uh, England, Wales, and Scotland. And Northern Ireland. Oh, that's Great no, Britain's no. island. Sorry, yes, the United Kingdom. Right, Northern and then right. The, it becomes the United Kingdom when you add in tiny Northern Ireland. I just... I, I don't know. I just I, never thought I, about it really in those well, terms. I think, well, I think just... this is a good time to bring it up because there's a there's one I noted in my notes, but they're like one of the beginning scenes. They're going, you're getting sent where he goes. We're not. You're getting. You are not leaving this country, son. Like when they <laughs> Northern Ireland, they're you're from not England. going to Germany. We're not you're you're you not leaving. Yeah, yeah like, we're going. You're not leaving this country. Like, let me remind you, this is a part of the United Kingdom. This is not yeah. an Ireland. You know, when they're right. sending him over there, and I thought that was kind of like an important sort of like pump up that he was getting. <clears throat> Again, that that's something that like you pick up on if you come into the movie knowing like the like the historical context. Right. But if you actually sort of don't, you, it's sort <laughs> of just a throwaway line. But something just that fix, Budge picked up on a little. I'll uh, I'll stand up with them a little confusing. bit in that this movie was filmed prim, pr filmed and funded primarily through the national lottery in Britain and you know like stage yorkshire and like all of these small kind of uh, government subsidized film houses so it, it, yeah it's it's gonna be a a 100 british film right so like the majority of the screenings of this movie are going to be with people who probably had a cousin that was in the you know what i mean so like, this is yeah. like if, if there was a film yeah. about vietnam you're getting north vietnam and hanoi's version and you're not getting <laughs> Ho Chi Minh, Saigon, the South Vietnam's version. I, 
I guess. Is that a good analogy? <laughs> well, well uh, it might be true. I mean, I guess you always kind of follow the money, but this guy, Jan Dimagino, whatever his name is or whatever, is he's French-Algerian, so it's not like he has some vested interest in sort of like promoting British propaganda, I don't think so. And I think that's sort of a question that gets asked in the movie is <clears> – <throat> Who, who are you? I mean, obviously, you're rooting for this one guy to survive, but I think something that, like, when you all just watch the movie and observe, you see sort of hypocrisy and problems with right. both sides. That's There's the, no on, on all sides, not yeah, just, yeah, yeah, not just English, Irish, Northern Ireland, yeah, IRA, UDF, police. That's true. Or I mean, that, they, they, pick the, anybody. The Brits are portrayed yeah. as pretty corrupt, or at least that, mm-hmm. like, covert. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about, but like, Sean Harris's little, little, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Force. Well, MD, MR, M, some MF, or what was it called? The Military Reaction Force. MRF, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have so many like different little initials and alliterations for things. But yeah, so I think Joe obviously did a good job like giving us the context and stuff. So maybe, and Preston's even already hinted this, talking about how he sort of needed, and I did too, needed to sort of like pause things and sort of go back and or go to Wikipedia and maybe read some things so so you fully understand the movie. Um, I want I kind of wanted to ask you guys, did do you think that was a necessary thing? Did you think that was like something that makes the film better where the, where the movie comes in, where the director sort of expects the audience to know everything or would like, would you rather it be that way where the director and like the writers assume the audience is smart enough to keep up with it? Or would you have liked a little bit more context in this movie that sort of just sort of set the groundwork for it. And then you could sort of kind of go from there. Uh, like, I just want to give like one kind of brief example. We maybe talked about this a little bit beforehand, but this was sort of a tough movie in the same way that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was and that it almost assumes a lot of the viewer going into the film. Like in, in that movie, I think it almost was directed towards people that maybe had read the book. <laughs> and this movie is almost directed towards people like Budge and Joe were talking about. I mean, Joe was talking about in terms of it was funded by British Film Society or whatever. And also since this incident had been going on in like British culture for years and years and years, everyone who sort of had watched this movie sort of was almost ingratiated into the story. But for people like us who maybe don't really follow British history as much, would would you have rather there been a lot more context involved or do you appreciate when a, a director and writer just assume that you're smart enough to carry along with it? Because I think, I think there were plenty of like context clues within the movie but if you weren't sort of familiar with the story, you didn't know how to pick up on them and you're sort of almost like left sort of trying to pick up the pieces rather than sort of maybe starting from a better position. But what do you think? Would you prefer that this maybe had some historical context right up front and maybe a little bit more exposition explaining how things were going or were you satisfied with how the story went? I think that one thing to keep in mind that the bigger difference between this and say Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, which we also reviewed on this, is that they were cramming a lot in there you know into like two hours this movie's a very tight hour and a half maybe a little bit more than that and i think it's supposed to just be it shoots you in and you and it goes it fi- it fires that gun and then you finish the race and you just gotta hang on yeah you know where this ride's going and i think in that sense that like there's just i don't know if there would be a place in this movie for like somebody just like if they had the soldier sitting there and some guy in front of the board like some english general being like <laughs> all right lads like and then you know Back in 1922, you know, 
and given the history of the Ulster migration, like I just did that. <laughs> I think I think you're in the end. It's almost just better served to like let you just be like, ah, I don't know what's going on, but it's a fucking war. You know, it's a- and it's your classic behind enemy lines behind tale. Yeah, you know, like you yeah you can you can you can delve deeper into the history, but as long as you know, like this is pretty much cats and dogs fighting each other, and they're never gonna like each other, and like one has got to escape from the other. You're you're good. You know what I mean. Well, maybe maybe that raises the question though. Do you think the confusion maybe is like part of is almost intentional in the exactly sense that the, the, the character is sort of meant to be confused mm-hmm. in where he's been. He's some sort of bright-eyed, naive sort of character that really doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe we're supposed to be put in his shoes and not really understand what's going on either. Do you think that maybe? Do you think I that think was maybe the case? That's exactly what I was leading into. I think yeah. that is very much. You're supposed to like this kid is not. If, if you got the impression the kid was like grew up. In an orphanage kind of or like in like you know public housing and he you know he didn't know his ass from his armpit like you know so like he, he, he was like are you a protestant he's he like are you a protestant mister and he was like i don't i don't know <laughs> probably grew up in a public housing estate he's not he's not very well educated and he just you know he doesn't and you're he's dropped in a crazy situation he's unprepared for his superiors are unprepared for and he's just left to his own devices. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know who's who and you don't either. And I think that that like, sure, it would probably help if you had a little more context to know that this was like an armed conflict on the ground, uh, you know, maybe as a viewer. But like, I don't think as we were saying, I don't think there is a point where some like long exposition would really fit the style and the tone. I think That's- the only thing and then Joe mentioned it would be one of those things at the beginning of the film where they, they give you like that, like what'd you call it joe you know like where they just give give you a little prompt and tell you kind of like it's like it's the years 1971 (laughs) (laughs) you know but i but i I think that is it is kind of a filmmaker's choice to uh align us and with the protagonist in that way and and literally just be kind of on that journey it would be it would it, it would be a nice addition to the north american version release of the film so like it gives you more of a like a foreign audience context because it would be like dropping you in the middle of an iron bowl and people are like <laughs> why the hell are these people killing each other you know and you're like who's a boog what are these what are these cheerleaders and why is that band over there like yeah well that, and that you're makes, like yeah. you don't have to explain to an audience in alabama why these people hate each other yeah right? exactly if some people watch an auburn basketball game and they didn't realize that bruce pearl was a incredibly sweaty they would think something was wrong with them but that's just his normal mo <laughs> he's just I de- a sweat hog yeah i felt like a, I mean like a dumb american a little bit at the beginning like damn did i miss like northern irish history class like what's going on here but um, but you know it, i will say like having read up on it now and like it's it's incredibly interesting and, and it, it did, it's for me it's it made really the film a little bit better what's that it's very foreign to us Oh, it's as Americans form. to be like, okay, these people are the exact same. You, I mean, like you can't put a wafer thin bit of difference between a Protestant Northern Irish person and a Catholic Northern Irish person, and they are just willing to kill each other right. for generations. And you're like, what? I mean, like, I just cannot wrap my mind around. Like, you guys aren't that uh, aren't that different. Right. Well, it's it's, it's, it's one of those things too where we almost think of like civil war. Like, oh, I shouldn't say this is a civil war, but sort of like that type of violence is almost archaic in some sense and i know it's not even in the united states but that sort of infighting and constant infighting and bombing and shit like that even going on to the 70s and 80s it does seem almost sort of barbaric 
Whereas I, but then I'm sure people could point to plenty of instances within the United States where it happens, but like those type of disagreements. I think the better like analogy is almost like take the Middle East. You've got places that are poor and then you've got like mass wealth distributions and you have religious radicals, you know, that they just cling to religion is like the, the biggest thing in their lives. And then like, they can look past, like, I mean, the Sunnis and Shiites that are neighbors, you know, because yeah, in many, in many ways, like, in many ways, there are, I mean, there are a lot of similarities in any kind of civil war conflict. And it's not, I mean, it seems inc- very removed from us being the fact that we were totally not alive when it happened here. But I mean, you know, the, like those kind of faction and like just conflicts that we've seen, I mean, even in a place like Northern Ireland in the early seventies, I mean, like it's, you, you don't think, uh, you don't think of it as like, well, this is a developed nation not too long ago, or, and they're having this conflict. Like this is, this seems very bizarre. And, and so I learned that it lasted so long, but like, I mean, yeah, like you said, bud, you compare it to a lot of civil wars that are going on today. And it's, I mean, these same kind of things are occurring as far as wealth disparity. Yeah. And, and religious like differences basically. Well, maybe this like sort of fits into our ne- my next question or whatever, because we just talked about how sort of like a re- religious differences maybe was the main sort of motivation in terms of all these characters and like that maybe results in the conflict. But Kurt Vonnegut once said in terms of writings, like make your characters want something right away, even if it's just a glass of water. And maybe this sort of goes back to the context and I just didn't understand it. But were all the motivations for these characters completely like apparent were they exactly sort of obvious to you guys when you're watching this movie when i was watching this movie i i just i was sort of thinking why is someone doing this i really don't understand what they want did you guys really understand i mean obviously the main character gary just wants to escape for his life because he has no idea what's going on in some sense but did you guys sort of understand the machinations and motivations of every single character that was going on did you want maybe that a little bit more defined i think that i i I keep harping back on the cats and dogs analogy just to kind of make it easier for people to understand like why these people hate each other and it's not and it's just simply for who they are and and you know you can get all highfalutin and i can start talking about the constitutional status of northern ireland and that's what they were <laughs> fighting over and they were like one wanted to you know united ireland the other wanted to stay part of the uk and and it and it and it bases itself around Catholic and Protestant. That, but it really wasn't about religion. It was just yeah, about okay. Like why the, it was about one wanted to be a part of Ireland, and they wanted the the damn British out for in, invading their country. And the other ones are Protestant, and they're loyal. They're the loyalists to the crown, and they and they want the Brits to they want to stay in the UK. And so, like that's pretty so- much it. And that so like or while while we did list like okay yeah a lot of civil wars they have these these common traits like that's that's kind of what I understood and what I read was that like yes I, almost the religion was a way to like I I divide like say like, okay this this side and that side they're Catholic they're Protestant but the the conflict itself seemed to re- revolve more around like how they wanted to be identified and how they wanted to go into the future as like a part of the UK or not and 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 in many ways like th- does that not kind of sound like Brexit, I mean, right? Like, well, it's it's interesting similarities there. You, you bring some of that up because um, this has become now that United States president-elect appears to be the second, only the second Irish American president we've elected. You know, he Malena. he he strangely put out a statement saying that recently that saying that 
any Brexit deal that threatened the Good Friday Agreement, we would not honor the United States. So I just thought that that was an interesting reason you picked that this movie when it is kind of about that. Because um, he doesn't want to see, his argument is that we don't want to see another armed conflict. And that if like a Brexit deal threatens it, whether or not you think that that's possible is, is you know, really irrelevant. It's just the point is it's come up within the last six months in the United States. Oh, and it's um, always been used as a, the Good Friday Agreement has always been used as a club to beat whoever was trying to do, like, you know what I mean? Like if you were trying Joe, to get something done up it. there, what do you mean? Kind explain of explain the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, okay, the Good happened, Friday happened Agreement in the 1990s, a, right? Right. And so Senator Mitchell from the United States mediated between the, the Catholics and the Protestants, and they came up with a power sharing agreement right. where the, the Catholics and the Protestants each sh- would, would share the, the governing responsibilities at Stormont, which is which is code for their White House or, you know, their Congress. Stormont. Stormont, yeah. And so it, it has recently, I mean, very recently, uh, Northern Ireland has been given, granted back, like, the, the constitutional powers, to I mean, like, to, to govern themselves. For a while, you know, like they weren't able to, in recent years, like, resolve um power sharing arrangements so it's 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 a very precarious agreement you know um and ireland and you you mentioned brexit now it may affect things and you may not realize this because it it, you know we need more context but britain and ireland have more have a common travel area with each other and so with britain leaving the eu like they were you know people were worried that you know it would close the border with northern ireland when it's always been open you know what i mean like so it's just it's a very matthew you just we're going we're going (laughs) yeah we're vibing um so yeah and i think into into preston again kind of like what you're saying too uh, that you were kind of in because you 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 picked up three interesting things i wanted to address i think one of them was that like, while yes, like the religious aspect wasn't a part of it, you think about it, like most people understand your day-to-day life in these places, like your religion's a huge part of it. So while less, it's what's less a part of it is for you arguing what type of constitutional rights you want and like what kind of constitutional structure you'd prefer to see. So like they're even, it's a lot easier to identify with that. And I think that the only, and Matthew's initial question is like, were we ever particularly confused about what was going on or some characters' motivations or fears and like who was doing what? I, I would say the only time I could see that being a little confusing that I was like, I know that this is going to get confusing is when it's the scene in which he goes to the doctor and the daughter in which they are like, we don't want to be seen as collaborators. So if you, and I knew as somebody who's a little bit more familiar with the subject matter, that there were people that if you were seen as collaborators within a community, they would kill you, you know? And so that you might be like, why don't they just help? Certainly the guy? Why does, evident it, why does it matter? You know? And then it's like, well, it was like that tense that often happened with people. So yeah. it'd be like you getting killed by the Viet Cong, yeah. seriously, for hiding yeah. weapons in your apartment. But it's like you yeah, didn't even those, want to be seen. Were with a, you didn't even so want to be seen intense. with a British soldier, you know. 
No, this, I, I, mean, I think I, it's I was, good to know. I was having a really hard time actually like sort of trying to write questions for this movie because I really didn't know what to even talk about because I, I didn't know what to talk about from like a technical span, standpoint or talk about from a historical standpoint or maybe but I didn't maybe didn't frame the questions as well as I should have. But you know what I really thought was cool about this movie, though? I mean, I have talked about how it was like a gunshot and then you just kind of went. But I, I think when you look at one of the, the ways it was the way it was shot was really cool. Like. You know, when he obviously when he's running and the camera's kind of that shaky cam, you're running with him like it's Blair Witch Project. But I mean, even also when like he was getting pot shots at by where the guy was running, kept missing. But each time the gun would shoot, the camera would jerk a little bit. And then when it hit, it would jerk again. And it was just timed really well that you just sort of felt like you were running with the guy. You were right there with him. And then like you felt like you could see the gunshots kind of going with you. It almost felt a little bit like, um, Dunkirk to a degree like at the very beginning when they're all like all you can you can just hear bullets kind of flying as they're retreating but you don't actually see any soldiers yeah. at first it, it kind of felt a lot like that well, that, that was a, that's a probably a really apt comparison it's like Dunkirk at night so to speak just because it's a lot darker which adds to the anxiety and the fear of the moment right because like that whole like tense sequence when he's running around is just like this very very dark night and you just like, constantly hear things which again I wonder if like the audio editing in that is like they had to like add certain sounds and like you pick certain sounds or whatever but like did it like increase your anxiety and fear buds like it like it, it's one of those things like a cheap way to induce like get people immersed in the film without actually have to like without actually having to like show giant explosions and shit like that i think tense is the, was the right word that you just used there yeah. because that's that's really how it felt like you were you were kind of like seizing up and and again i think that was the point you know like there what the exposition wasn't heavy you didn't need a lot of explaining but you just knew that this guy was trying people were trying to kill him and he was trying to get back to where he was going but he didn't know how to get there and so like you felt you know you felt it like uh, you know oh, yeah. that, that his like anxiety budge and, I, and to add to that i was going to say that I, it, I was so in the moment that i was counting the shots that these dudes were loosing at um jack o'connell as he was running down the alleyway i was like how many does he have in the clip i mean this I, I counted at least 12 and you know you're thinking that and you're like does he have a reload like do i have time to turn this corner you know what i mean like it was so intense that i was even like trying to plot my way out of there yeah, not to mention, I, I mean, like Bud just Bud just mentioned a Christopher Nolan film in Dunkirk, but that's the exact same thing in the opening scene of like what Dark Knight, right? When they're like, "Oh, you've only got like six bullets, you're all out," and he pulls out and pulls a shotgun out. But sorry, go ahead, Preston. Well, I'm just thinking, <laughs> and like also, how bad of a shot are all these people? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I feel like any movie. It's, uh, uh, I, it, I think it's know, tougher than you think to hit a moving target with a pistol. You know, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'd probably agree I mean, with you not, as I have no experience, but yeah. <laughs> and they're all Irish, so they're probably drunk anyway. That's actually yeah, a very I mean, good point. But you would think if there were like a certain number of people, just the law of averages and just a sheer probability of the amount of like a numbers game it would be, you could at least nick the guy. But the then again, it is a movie. At some point, yeah. Get a knee. Just slow him down. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to get a perfect headshot, but maybe one swerves right into that like lower area and just sort of like he has to pull up a little bit and then still sort of like ducks into the corner. Uh, what? Joe, what do you think about, about this movie in terms of like comparing it to other war films? Did you appreciate its like simplicity? Did you want bigger explosions? Like, did you want like to really be? We, we were kind of talking about just how simple it was in terms of how much, uh, like Bud said, like tenseness. It's sort of like drew upon without it being overly 
what do you want to say? Michael Bay esque. Did you like really, really appreciate how simple it was and how much it like really drew out the anxiety? No, I think that they did a good job. I think that they really, they did a, a fantastic job of conveying how, you know, if they, any of the civilian population was to render assistance to these British, like a British soldier, it was curtains for them and probably the rest of their family. And so, you know, and, and especially the scene where the, the Protestant, the loyalist pub blows up and he's like, give us a crisp, John. And that thing <laughs> just fucking explodes out of nowhere. And you're like, these idiots in the back have fucked up and blown themselves up and everybody else in the bar. It, uh, I, I thought it was, you know, uh, there, I thought that there was a lot of suspense. When it seems to me like that kind of shit happened a lot in this in this conflict. And like there's like so I, I just got the sense that it was a very accurate little depict like depiction of you know various things that could happen from year to year especially in the early 70s in this uh in northern ireland for sure i think it'd be worth noting too that one of the the most famous things from the troubles you did not see in that movie was it very much was known for car bombs like that you know the i forget Uh, what you call like the mercury riser but like whenever the car would tilt tilt switch bomb mercury tilt switch bomb yeah that's that's kind of those are infamous with the troubles well, you know what's interesting? Before we sort of move on maybe to the ending and to the wheel or whatever, but I thought uh, – I know last time – or I should say last time, but earlier I talked about Kurt Vonnegut and had a quote about his. But I had one other thing I wanted to talk about because this isn't based on a true story. And if you've ever read Tim O'Brien's uh, The Things They Carried, there's a short story in that that's called How to Tell a Good War Story. But he's also talking about that none of the stories he actually tells in that whole collection of books is true. But as long as you convey the message, it's still a good war story, right? Like it's how they felt. So Preston was kind of getting at this is a depiction, right? But it's not actually a true story. Like did this just maybe they added some stuff. Maybe they sort of subtracted some stuff. Maybe they sort of streamlined some stuff. But did you like it, it felt like a very, very good and realistic war story, despite it not being true. Does that make sense? I mean, like, do, would you rather it have been a true story? Or do you think it got the message across? Uh, I, I would say you're talking is this for Preston or for me. Anyway, anyway I'm sorry. I, I thought this was, again, an excellent portrayal of what of what they were trying to to, you know, trying to show. So like in the sense that I think that if you lived in Northern Ireland, during this time, things were tense all the time. Like you had, you know, you think about it, you had, you had soldiers in the streets of what's a first world country, but at the same time, you're experiencing record high unemployment, income gap disparity, you know, and and you're just what you know, you living kind of hand to mouth. Most a lot of people are unemployed on on you know on what's essentially welfare, and and you've got and like what you, you your your identity is thrown into your religion. And it's become this war zone. And in that sense, you know, you've got and there's money being pumped in from Americans and other kind of gun runners and there's guns and and to a degree drugs, because wherever you wherever you find these kind of, you know, societal ills, you tend to find, you know, drug use and drug sales. So you just I just think it was a kind of a bleak period in the sense that you're like, I don't really know if I see a way out and then, you know, or where this is going to go. Is there a lightning in the tunnel? And that's kind of, I think, how Jack O'Connell felt, you know, he's like. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to, I know where I need to go, but I don't know how to get there. And maybe that's a little too deep, but I think that that kind of worked with what you asked. Well, no, and I think you can sort of maybe answer the question about the ending is that there's no resolution to the actual war, right? It's just that this guy escaped. And so do you think that sort of like <laughs> was the ap- appropriate way to end the film? Like, right. There was like, they, he didn't solve a problem. He just, they, well, I guess he solved his problem of surviving. Right. But like, did, like you didn't want, this was one of those movies or whatever where there wasn't a huge resolution, but it's sort of like, oh, there's not, there's still an ongoing conflict, but this guy, 
he's powerless to solving it. Joe, what did you think about the ending? Would you like to almost seem like, I, I mean, like we talked about earlier that this, this conflict has been going on for years and years and years and years, generations, generations. So that maybe this wasn't a movie where you could solve the main conflict. Did you like just the fact that it was based on a single person and it was resolved one person's conflict? Yeah. I, well, to me, the, the ending kind of portrayed, you know, the way that the, the British, um, government was kind of it's two-faced it seemed like they would they're really quick to stab the ex-servicemen in the back and like hang them out to dry and meanwhile the people on the actual ground are working with the ira and they're you know what i mean it's a very hopeless situation so like he just gets out and finds his brother and is like fuck all this i'm i'm taking care of him like this is what's really important in the world like i just gotta get the fuck out of there and that's kind of like that was like the main I, I don't know the gist to me and it seemed like the the point of the movie was to show like to you know to really just hang on to what's important in the world kind of thing yeah do you think it was a pacifist sort of message Preston in terms of like there's a bunch of shit out there just don't get involved <laughs> or like, I mean like, maybe that's not even pacifist I don't know what what do you think about the ending and what I had to say about whatever I mean, yeah I mean I don't know I just think kind of back to what we were talking about like it's just the whole movie and, and the ending in itself as well it's just kind of just staying true to the conflict and presenting these little stories within it. And, and, and there's like a slight resolution, I guess you could say the fact that he doesn't get completely murdered and everything. But like, I, yeah, I think it's just like, look, this, these are the things that would happen uh, during this time. We're going to present a story that we have concocted and it's going to stay true to the conflict, particularly in this year and in the early seventies. And, and that's what you're going to get. And it's going to be hectic. It's going to be through the eyes of this soldier and through the eyes of some of these other people. But And there are no good guys. There, there, are, there are no good guys. No I mean, not good even, guys. Right. It's right. just, that's the thing. It's like, it's, I, I think anybody who would go into it wanting like this huge resolution or you, like, you're just not going to have it. It's just, it's literally, it's just almost telling it like it, like, that's why it felt, I was like, is this a true story? Like, is this, is this yeah. how it went? And I think they almost like created what could be a true story within the conflict, thus stay, staying true to the conflict. I don't know. I didn't love the ending and I don't, but I don't sure. know if I, how I would do it differently. Uh, right. I guess that like to me, his whole getting pissed off with the British like government was a little bit of a stretch. Like, you know, like the whole cover up kind of seemed like they didn't need, it seemed like a little too extra. Like it was like a little too much to add in there on the back end and like him going back and getting all mad at the, you know, I'm assuming it's like the orphanage or the the boys home where his brother or whoever, you know, that kid lived and him like yelling at the staff, you know, and he's supposed to like, was he used to have like some PTSD and then like, so then they just went to, I forget where he said he was from like Lincolnshire or something. Um, yeah, it did, I guess in a way, it, like it, like I just, I did, it just sputtered out towards the yeah, end. Yeah, it, it's insane, and like, and I think that like you kind of already had an he could he could walk away with PTSD and disillusioned, and you've already sort of like shown sort of like the failures of the British side, right? Uh, in this conflict, you didn't have to like add this like kind of government cover up. And I also thought, but I but see at the same time, what I thought was really good is showing how the British were going to be able. Speaking of the ending, we're going to work with the young IRA. You know, it's like we can make a deal, get rid of the old guy, the old guard, which Joe had mentioned earlier. Well, I, I thought think that was all good. Sort of bring, you kind of bring up a point in the sense that, like, it, it doesn't make 
that much sense in terms of him going from incredibly naive about the situation, which Joe had talked about earlier, that this was a massive generational thing where people grew up with this problem. Not only grew up, their grandparents grew up. Everyone knew about this conflict between these two parties. So you can't almost be like a naive soldier, if that makes sense. You've known what's been going on your whole life. So it's almost like when they try to depict him as this person who sort of is a new recruit, fresh off the block kind of thing going into his first, yeah, it might've been his first like wartime situation, but he knew exactly what type of situation he was getting into. At least I kind of, I kind of want to believe that. Yeah. Do you I, think that's true? Or? I, I think that was kind of one of the things where like the soldiers, we talked about it earlier, where the, where the, the, the brass kept reminding him, son, you're not leaving this country. You're going yeah. to the UK. And I think that I do think he was maybe a little ignorant of the nuance. He was certainly ignorant of the nuances. I think he just knew it was a conflict. But I think what I think bothered me, maybe now that I'm thinking about it more the most kind of with it, was that, uh, what was his name, Samo? And interestingly enough, it's the same, speaking of Dunkirk, it's the actor who played the pilot that crashed in Dunkirk in the water is the guy who gets shot. His buddy, like I think his name is, they called him Samo or Jono, in the very beginning, kind of like the blonder guy. Uh, and you, you Anyway, but you didn't really, like, that was, I thought, where the guy should be really mad, was that like they're kind of basically scrubbing over the death of his friend and soldier and it didn't feel that way to me um but anyway that's my sort of two cents on the matter all right anyone got some final words on 71 before we wrap it up move on to the wheel and then give our rankings last last bits of peace before we move on to this fun fun segment let's wheel it (laughs) spin it okay all right, so we got the questions. We'll read the questions real quick because we're running short on time. So number one, we like them young. Number two, the great escape. Three, let's make it sexier. Four, that's a rough day. Five, one good thing about music. Six, I'm the baby. I'm Seven, whammy. Eight, Gene, is that you? Nine, take it up the A. And ten, respin. So we're just going to do ten. <laughs> I mean, two. Off. Two spins. Oh, a one. So we like them young. Maybe one of the most enjoyable parts of this movie was when a young boy meets Gary, when uh, the guy meets Gary and drinks, a young guy meets Gary, drinks alcohol and cusses like a sailor and leads him to the pub. Does that little nine-year-old have a higher booze tolerance than you, or could you still drink him under the table? Budge, what do you think? Uh, you know, I gotta say, I, I, for, for being a young rook and a young buck, a laddie buck, possibly in their parlance, uh, you know, he was impressive, but there's no way he's taking Budge down. Joe, what do you think? Do you think that little kid could drink more than you? He could definitely drink those Fanian fuckers under the table. <laughs> Fanian fuckers. But yes, I think he could. Uh, I, I, Preston, what do you think? I was just really, really impressed with just the way like he handled himself at the bar. You could tell it was definitely was not his first time. I know that he kind of like grew up there. His dad owned it, but it wasn't like his first time. He was not intimidated by anybody there. I think he could hold his own. What do you think, Preston? I think he certainly can hold his own for a what ten year old or however old he was. <laughs> I'm just guessing. He looked like he's nine, uh, not nine or ten. But yeah, uh, no, no, I'm pretty no good chance. approximating young boys' age. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't drink as as much as I used to, but I would absolutely destroy the kid. Oh, so you're taking? You're definitely getting overconfident here. So we got one more spin. Yes. <laughs> oh, three. Let's make it sexier. So this is something Joe brought up last week. Like Joe said last week. Uh, and this morning, you can always make something sexier. Where would you add some sex appeal in this movie? Because it was lacking it. Joe, what do you think? He definitely <laughs> could have run into a little bit hotter of a chick. 
on the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he could have when hopping over some fences, he could have seen like a really cute Irish girl, you know, like all red hair and freckles in the uh, changing in the, uh, in the window. You know what I mean? Got, got a quick little laugh. And then he like bolts. It's like a bullet whizzes by his head. You know, that kind of deal. Yeah. Like when, she's, in the when, eye. She, when he's, yeah. yeah. Like when he's picking up uh clothes off the clothing line, she could have been like, pulling off her knickers or whatever you know yeah that would a- i mean well uh, buds you were talking about like there being like you know uh poverty and drug use or whatever which obviously probably leads to prostitution too so there could have obviously been some women selling themselves yeah like i thought uh, I, saw, uh, uh, I thought the daughter that like picked them up could have been a little bit like i mean she was very very interested but he was too injured probably to do something with what do you think Preston? that's what i would have that's what i would have said it like if it had happened anywhere like maybe like a suspension of belief where he's so numb with pain and she's like in there helping his tend to his wounds. And like the father is out and they have like a little moment where they look at each other, but then blood squirts out and they're like, Oh God. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, this, this film is like the antithesis of anything that would ooze sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like his stitches are bulging out while like, the, like it's popping while he's like trying, but like, no, no, no. Yeah. It's so it's dark like, and oh, dreary. I'm, I'm it's hurting me too bad kind of thing yeah we could have had that but, but then again, I, I think so to your point to y'all both y'all's point i think matthew like you could have had a, a cheeky little prostitution scene and back and forth with him in like the protestant bar uh where the kid was before the bomb went off and then subsequently the thing i had about the doctor's daughter was that like she they tried to make her look like she was like for who sure how old she was she kind of looked really like young she kind of dressed like a child she had like mary janes and high socks like you know, it's like you could have sexed her up a little bit more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Could have made her a little bit sluttier. Like the the doctor's daughter who, like, he was disappointed in because she was sort of giving herself out too easily kind of thing. Talking her up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to our rankings here because we got to move on pretty quickly. We're going to go to the acting. Joe, since this was your movie, acting, what do you think about this film out of 25? Uh, you know, it was a bunch of no name actors, but you know, I think, I think they did a great job of conveying the suspense, but it wasn't, you know, anything to write home about generally. So I'm going to give it a 20, <laughs> 20. <laughs> All right, Preston, what do you think? Oh, let's see. Going back to my notes. Yeah. Um, well, ah, I had a 19, 19. I do but like Sean acting. Harris, not his best role, but for the acting. Yeah, uh, these were my weakest marks. Um, not because there weren't some like uh, decent performances, but nothing particularly stood out. And so for that, in that sense, but it wasn't. But again, I think one of the the words that we should make a t shirt for this podcast: serviceable acting job. So. Uh, that's, yeah. that's one of our favorite words. Eighteen. Oh yeah, <laughs> eighteen. Yeah, I actually thought this was like. I thought this was the strongest point of the whole movie, just because you could really. Then again, it's it's a. a an amalgam of things. I mean, Budge was talking about earlier that maybe it was like the direction and how they shot things, but I really thought that the the main actor gave a very good performance and really made us feel like we were in the moment. So I'm going to give it a 22 music. Joe, what do you think? Wasn't too heavy, but then again, that seems to be always the point that I make. What do you think about the music? Uh, yeah, I think that it, it, the film did a good job of blending it in to the background and it, and then the suspenseful parts, it kind of, it didn't overwhelm. So uh, I'll give it a serviceable 21. You're disappointed. They didn't drop a dropkick Murphy song in there. Or, or at least like a Van Morrison <laughs> reference or something, you know, yeah. 
<laughs> what do you think, Preston? Well, I do like that they did use the guy who scored it is a Northern Islander named Dave David Holmes. He's an electronic musician, and um, so like keeping it in the uh, in the family, so to speak. I'm very fond of. I will say I had more on this, but I frankly can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know it's pulsating it's a it's a good wartime score for the for the most part but n- yeah i mean maybe i uh, throw in a little uh, domino right in the pub scene you know what i'm saying right before the explosion <laughs> yeah. uh i'm gonna give it 21 but uh so I, again I, these are, this is the one of the lower marks i'm gonna give us a 19 it's it's like we said i felt like there were some opportunities of some great irish music uh i think i personally for the time frame would have liked to hear a little thin lizzy uh, which is, you know, a, a, well, granted a Dublin band, but there's a lot of Irish nationalism, like in Whiskey in a Jar, um, kind of old Irish folklore that I think you could have been and then in the early 70s would have been peak like that, you know, uh, dual guitar sound. Can I interject that this was mostly funded through like, you know, <laughs> like film Durham and, you know, all these little like BBCs in Northern England and stuff. So like, I don't know how much m- rights money they had to get all these sweet songs. So I'm like, surprised with some of this, but the BBC seems to have some way of including awesome, awesome music and low production costs, like films or whatever, the stuff that they do. I really don't know, but sometimes they have like Led Zeppelin and something you would never expect. And you're like, what the fuck? How did that get in there? But no, I'm sorry, but go ahead, Joe or Preston. Jimmy Page is they got to get those checks. They got to get them coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I, I didn't know too much about the music here. I didn't do any research, whatever, but I thought it was serviceable. Like Budge was saying, I'm giving it an 18. That's the ultimate serviceable score. Go ahead. We're doing characters now. Joe seems a little predisposed. So we're going to depress him. We'll come back to Joe. What do you think about the characters? Uh, again, I think, you know, we're kind of following the main character here the whole time. I, yeah. You know, this movie, I, I really enjoyed this movie as a whole. I think it's really exciting and I think it's great. And I certainly learned a lot through <laughs> just straight up Googling throughout the film. Uh, <laughs> as far as like the characters go, uh, I think I'm just going to give it a solid 20. Okay. And just uh ellipsis oh. right there. Joe, we'll come back to you. Characters out 25. Characters, uh, I really loved the relationship Although there wasn't much screen time with it, but the, the what there was the relationship between Jack O'Connell and his little brother, and oh yeah, you you really felt that, you know? <laughs> I mean, very sweet. Joe. It was. <laughs> I mean, like he's got a little brother and he's got some shithead taking care of him. So I, you know, I, I personally I like, like the, that. Twenty three. The relationship between him and the the kid the pub kid was I thought pretty pretty good yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, that that's was cool good, too. I was sad that's to see good, the kid go. <laughs> Well, he didn't die. He just lost his arms. Oh, he's like a torso. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, what? He's like a pillow with a head? No, Go he, ahead, no, he just sorry. lost his arms. Oh, okay. uh, but that, I a think long pillow. That's what I was going to say, uh, Preston. Actually, I, I, this is probably the, the characters are my favorite part of this movie, I think. So other than the way it was shot. So I gave this a 20. And I think one of those, that kid was just such a, a funny kid. Uh, and like witty, like had that Irish brogue. Uh, I also think some of like the other care, I thought there was a pretty good sort of like dichotomy between the older and the younger IRA guys. I, I thought that was, you know, I thought that was cool. And then having the kid, that's like not quite sure if he wants to be a terrorist or not. And then also having the Ulster defense force, you know, having uh, the guy who plays all the Shelby from Nicky blinders. I Sean thought Harris. was a really good character too. Is that Sean Harris? I'm sorry. I, so. I could be wrong. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I thought this was a strong point. I, I, I will say there's, I don't think there was like tons of character development, but I, I think there were like tons of good characters. And I thought they like didn't have too much time to develop characters because they wanted to get to the action. So I'm still going to give it a, a 21. We're going to move to the plot. It's going to be the last one before we wrap it up. Uh, go for it, Joe. Plot, uh, this is going to be my highest mark. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I love the plot. It was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty u- unique that, uh, yeah. It, it had you on the edge of your seat. So I'm going to say 24. Uh, Preston, go for it. I, I I agree. Like, this is definitely where I have the highest marks. I thought just uh, first, just like the, the time period and, and what was going on and being able to interject these, uh, this kind of story in it, I thought was really cool. And, and maybe the word would be deft. I'm not sure. So I'm going to give it a 22. Budge, what'd you think? Um, <clears throat> I gave it a 21. Uh, I also very much enjoyed the plot. I think it was a very good introductory, you know, it, there's, it doesn't dip your toe into the water to the troubles. It throws you right in, you know, it throws you in the deep end and, and you, you know, kind of either sink or swim. And I think this did a really good job of swimming. So. All right. Well, I'm going to, like I said, I think I noted it at the beginning of the episode or whatever, I would have liked a little bit more context, but then again, that's just sort of nitpicking. I can't really nitpick any other than that, but so I'm going to give it a 21. You the, I would have liked a little. The I wanted the, just the just wanted that text in the beginning that told me what was happening, just to save me the Google. So I'm going to give it a 21. That's a four point deduction. Um, so we're going to wrap that up next week, Budge. This is going to be your pick. So I think we already know what we're doing, but Budge, what are we doing? And we'll wrap it up with this. Um, yeah, th- congratulations on Budge being our Iron Bowl picker champion. Um, oh, no, that's right. I, I think I need to go get the you. Stanley Roll Cup. Pod, Budge. <laughs> yeah, Boo. the Stanley Cup. Uh, Joe, it was a close race. Do you have, like do you have something like against Malzahn for not going for it at the end? Like he could have gotten that touchdown. That would have put you over the top. That son of a bitch, <laughs> Seth Williams. It's Seth Williams dropping fault. that goddamn pass. <laughs> I blame uh, Seth. But uh, I'm going to choose uh, a movie currently streaming on Hulu for our loyal listeners. But that would be The Nice Guys, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, as well as several others. It is a very much a budge style movie. Exciting. I actually just I actually just remember that we talked about it's that budge, we're uh, we're not gonna release this till later, so it really doesn't matter what we pick at the end. Um, <laughs> remember, I'm sorry. So enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. So what we're gonna do, we're just gonna go final final thoughts, final words, any parting parting presence before we kick it off. It was the year nineteen seventy one. That's the prompt you get. Thank you.
Thank you.